Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight, we have our friend, freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Hello. We also welcome back T.J. Hafer. Hey. And finally, we are graced by the presence of the Game King once again, (laughs) Sean Sands. Every time. (laughs) Hello. Uh, And so we've sort of reconvened to talk about Stellaris uh, once again, because two things have happened with that game uh, recently. One is that it got its 2.0 update. Uh, the the cherry uh, patch, or as I've been calling it in my head for the past two weeks, the cherry H update, uh, which <laughs> tells you about how much sci-fi I actually read, uh, and it also just got a new expansion, uh, the Apocalypse expansion. Uh, so we're going to be tackling both of those things and how they change up Stellaris, since these are pretty far-reaching changes. Uh, but to sort of lead off with it, uh, Sean, I thought we'd talk to you a little bit because I'm just curious yeah. on, from you, like about your perspective on Stellaris as somebody who uh, is coming to it from a position where you're really deeply invested in EU and that kind of game. What did, what did mm-hmm. you make of Stellaris, and uh, what do you like, and how have the new changes sort of affected your impressions? Yeah, I've always really liked Stellaris. Um, I don't think there was ever a time where I was. I, I mean, I, I I can see its flaws. I can see the things that needed to be kind of built into it over time. You know, it's it's it it probably is my favorite first three hours of any uh, paradox game, and then there's a drop off there, particularly at launch that that happened. And I think a lot of the updates since then have been really focusing on on smoothing that out and building consistency. And and I still really love Stellaris. I mean, I've got a couple hundred hours in the game. Um, I I think it's it, it's 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 interesting because I still have that absolute when i pick it back up again those first three or four hours are absolutely they're just kind of magical to me like that sense of exploration um you know the additions in in the most recent update of, of like wormholes and adding you know um it, it changing the way that borders grow and you expand out like i love all that stuff and i feel like it's super smooth uh i think the updates to the middle and end game have really boosted that part of it but i still feel like there's there's sort of a drop off there like the the addition of sort of the mid game uh you know space mongol horde is is a is a good addition but it it doesn't really like like it just it just doesn't capture that like it it it's a thing to deal with and i really really like having additional things to deal with instead of just i guess i'll colonize another world i guess i'll just go to war with these guys again um but I, I still feel like when by the time I hit the mid, particularly the early end game, like I'm just I'm 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 aiming at completion. I've got my whatever it is I want to do in my head, and that's just like I'm zeroed in on that. Um, uh, you know, I'm I, yeah I'm I'm really good with Stellaris, but Stellaris is not a game that I will play for more than about okay. And this you know this is this sounds um like a lot uh but i mean it's it, you know when i say i won't play it for more than 30 or 40 hours oh, at a time like any other genre just into the bin with you <laughs> and i can kind of feel that happening like i, I just binged stellaris this past week um and I've, I've had a great time but i'm already like i mean the new hearts of iron expansions out and i've already like looking over like you know i'm like that 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 image of the guy looking at the you know the, the other girl walking past and just like, oh, hey, check out Hearts of Iron's Four new expansion. I'll see you later, Stellaris. Um, but I think that, like, it's I'm torn because I really, really like it. But it is to me, 
the best of the second tier paradox games, right? You put Crusader Kings two and you EU four up here in their Sean, own sort of stratosphere. Nice it keeps getting worse. <laughs> no, no, I am I am super like I'm positive, but when you put it in the context of like everything else, yeah, like I have my I mean there's my one true love over there, and then I had this thing with Stellaris for a couple of weeks and now I gotta go back. Yeah. No, my my, my relationship with, with Hearts of Iron four and Stellaris are very similar where I'm I'm perpetually playing Crusader Kings 2 and EU4. Like, there's not really two weeks that go by that I don't boot up one of those games. But yeah, with Stellaris and with Hearts of Iron, it seems more like I wait for a new expansion to come out. I get, you know, my time in with that expansion, and I'm like, okay, I've kind of seen what there is to see with this, and, you know, it'll be back to CK2 and EU4 until the next DLC comes out, basically. I don't know how any of you guys have time to just focus so much on these, like, one games. It's insane to me. Like, I hear about, like, oh, I put a thousand hours into CK2. I'm like, how the hell do you review well, games Well, there is a two-hour podcast of Chushan's dear friends basically grilling him on that exact question. Like, it, like in, in the origins of the Game King mythos, there is collective bewilderment as to, like, how in the fuck anybody manages to put... What is it now? 2000? Three? No, it's yeah, not 2000, 2000. anymore. No, no, it's, it's not. 2000. It's 2000 and some change. Are there even that I mean, many not... hours in existence? Uh, yeah. like, how is well, it? Fraser, I... like, I've seen you post before that you're like redecorating your apartment and stuff like that. And so the time you yeah. spend on that... I just put a blind guardian poster on the wall and then play E4. <laughs> like, that's, sure, you know. but that's because, you know, I'm an adult, but so is Sean, so I don't understand that, you know. Oh. I am oh. age, but I'm not sure I act like, well, like I'm looking up right now and I'm thinking someday I ought to put some kind of ceiling in this room, <laughs> but, ah, uh, you know, it's fine right now. Those those rafters are good. But even before I became addicted to increasing the, prop the property value of my home, uh, <laughs> I... I, I didn't have time to pour into like a game. If, if I've reviewed a game, I'm, I'm, there's not that many chances I'll come back to it. With things like CK2 and E4 Stellaris, with, with these sorts of evolving strategy games, I do. I still couldn't imagine the thousands of hours. If I put hundreds of hours into a game, I'm like, bloody hell, I should move on to the next one. Got to keep the lights on. Apparently, my kids are like 13 now. Who knew? <laughs> Just already it getting tons yesterday. of therapy for neglect. <laughs> they, they, uh, well, tell me about your uh, dad. My what? Maybe if I've been in Hobbsburg, he would have cared. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, let's dig into this a little bit, though, because I think um, like the mid-game is definitely where I have always struggled uh, with Stellaris, and uh, to show my cards here, I still am struggling with the mid game still like i'm still like they've maybe pushed my interest off ramp further down the road a little bit but like and it's not necessarily with the game like i will off ramp into another new stellaris game but the odds of me finishing my stellaris game mm, shaky um but what have they like what have they done with these new ex with the uh update and the new expansions uh to sort of address some of those mid-game issues, right? Like, wh like, what are they trying to do by making it a more satisfying experience uh, throughout rather than front-loading it? 
Yeah, I was going to say the, the two big strategies, it seems like they've taken, uh, they've added, if you own the expansion, they have the, the, the great con now, where they're basically these, you know, murderous, rampaging aliens that live on space stations, and then they can unite and take over a chunk of the galaxy around the mid-game, which is kind of interesting. They seem to, like, have kind of petered out in the, the couple of games I played. Uh, I mean, two is not a huge sample size, but it seemed like, you know, they they conquer like one and a half empires and then the great Khan dies and they kind of go away. It didn't really feel like they ever got to control huge swaths of space that are going to, you know, devolve into successor states and stuff. But then also how they've changed the war system on a basic level with how claims and stuff work now. Um, I found... Well, it doesn't completely solve the mid-game problem. It does make the AI a little bit less shy about declaring wars because they can like claim one system and just go to war for that system. Um, so you, you do have these kind of like border conflicts where it's like, yeah, I just need I, I need that black hole because I need more physics research. So I'm just going to go to war for that and not worry about penetrating into their core worlds or anything. So that's kind of kind of made things a little bit more dynamic in terms of at least, you know, what kinds of conflicts you can get into and how reluctant the AI is to pursue them. It took me a little while to really kind of latch on to what they were doing with the war changes, but that's one of the, the areas where the more I've played it, the more I actually like that. Um, because I think, I think you're right. I think it is, I think it is a mid game play because there's, there's that point where you've, you know, you're up against borders on every side. And you know, the, the problem with the way Stellaris used to handle war is it really was about planets. Um, and sometimes planets just weren't necessarily what I wanted, right? Like what I needed was one or two kind of key things to boost my energy production or my mineral production or research or whatever. Um, and sometimes mostly I just wanted to go beat somebody up for a little while. Um, and, and, and I like that this model has kind of allowed these smaller scale skirmishes almost more than sort of full-blown wars where it's like oh i'm gonna have to build an entire the, I, the idea that i can have a war and succeed and take over three or four systems and not worry about a planet and not worry about armies and not worry about you know what's my bombardment set to and now i'm gonna have to spend 15 years dealing with unrest or whatever like i i really like that change in particular it really allows me to kind of shape exactly what i want my you know my 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 empire to look like I appreciate the idea that like there, there's flavor behind all of these war goals and things like that in the Cassus Ballet system. There's like if you pick the uh, the bar is it barbaric despoilers or something mm -hmm. like that. I think so. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, which is one of the uh, like the new emperors you can play in. I think you actually have to buy Apocalypse to get that. It's not in 2.0. I'm not sure. Um, I think a few of the these new uh, groups are only available if you actually get by the expansion. But anyway, these barbaric despoilers, um, they have a sort of a, a unique war objective where they can basically just declare war on anyone just to ravage their planet and pillage it, basically. They're, they're like Vikings. Really. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm sure <laughs> TJ really enjoys them. Interestingly <laughs> enough, I've found their playstyle to be a little bit weird. Like, I always wonder, why am I, why am I abducting Pops that aren't, I didn't design to go work back on my core worlds instead of just taking their worlds so they can work their own infrastructure. 
Um, but I, I might not have fully <laughs> grasped the implications of that civic yet. But yeah, I, I like that you aren't just... And I think you can see this in the giant planet-killing weapons that you can develop in Apocalypse as well, where it's not just for the straight-up warmongers. If you have some sort of religious reason to try and take mm -hmm. over a planet, you want to convert people, you want to turn everyone into cyborgs, there are like myriad reasons to go to war beyond just straight-up conquest. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like the, the, the changes overall over time, including Utopia, including the various patches to kind of differentiate the different styles of uh, civilizations has become more interesting, even to the point like I, I love that they added different voiceovers for your Oh my your God, I dwell on that so much when I'm doing a creation. <laughs> so uh, many no. of them too. There's a huge list of them. You have it took to, me like 20 minutes to pick. Do I want to do I want to hear robot sarcastic for four hours? I don't. Is I already played right all the Destiny. Is that who I, I am? <laughs> uh, I want to go back to the the horde for a second because I, I'm curious. My take on it has been like again, it's interesting to have this mid game crisis idea happening, but it just to me it just feels like sort of a half a stagnant ascendancy. Like it just feels like it plays the same way I, well not the same way yeah kind of the same way like i mean i know they can kind of send out raiding ships but that just feels like you know one of them yeah let's let's talk through let's like talk did, through exactly what this it? looks like uh for people who haven't played the expansion yeah. so i'd like to know as well because it never happened <laughs> <laughs> the pirates were shit they did nothing it was like well, this, really frustrating this is different than the pirates the pirates are super annoying um they get they actually could got to me a couple of times just because I, I had timed it wrong and they attacked while I was at war. And it's like, okay. and we have to we'll also get to some point how long we'll it talk takes about to get the yeah, galaxy. Second but, uh, so a cool thing that is happening yeah, now is pirates don't just sort of like, like just sort of proc in the world and start happening. Uh, it's more, they exist in right. like unclaimed border regions. Um, and mm -hmm. if you do not have, it appear, it looks to me like it works. Like if you have sort of an unsecure, like undefended border, uh, at some somewhere along that border in an unclaimed system, pirates will spawn and start raiding in yep. and hitting targets of opportunity uh, in your interior. Um, maybe, maybe. And uh, for me, <laughs> Wiz is Wiz is actually pretty consistently that for it, me. it actually has to do with the shape of your empire too. So if you're making a long snake to get like that one huh. strategic resource you have, it'll actually increase the pirate spawns. Versus if you, you know, expand it in a more contiguous kind of convex sort of way. Right. I played multiple games with multiple, like, like vastly different shaped empires that grew and changed. So obviously sometimes they look more serpentine and sometimes they're more vulnerable bits. And I never once that had is, an issue huh, with pirates. Mind I get the, the really? early communication where they'd be like, yo, we're assholes. Don't come near us, and I'll be like, okay. No, 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 no. Seem like dicks, no, I'm, I'm not talking not. about pirates who communicate, though. <laughs> I'm talking about. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, the, the, the random, random spawns. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, I thought they were attached, though, like, as in they were no. related to each other. No, those. Um, no. Because so, I never got the random things either. So I got the pirates would talk to me, and then I didn't get anything from them or any sort of random pirate spawns. That I, not that I noticed. Like, I was. Fighting other oh, that is wild. alien empires, but never any, never yeah. any parts. And I'm talking about like not three full games, but 
a full game and two games that this went is into the, the weird thing. It always seems like every time we talk about Stellaris, multiple people have had weird edge case series yeah. of games where like... <laughs> I actually I mentioned that in my review because I remember one of the weird things like when we spoke about it the first time or in subsequent, maybe it was the end of the year podcast, where Rowan was like, I didn't experience any of the cool things you're talking about. He was like, it's a boring game, nothing happens. And I'm telling him story, like the most crazy wild stories. And he's like, none of this happened. And I just, I find it so bizarre because I'd played so many games and kept getting these interesting moments. And then it's happened to me now where people were talking about pirates and I didn't even really understand. I, I, that's me only just learning now that the parts you communicate with and the spawning parts are two separate things because yeah. I never had to deal with them at any point. And it was, it just yeah. seemed really so, crap. <laughs> so this all plays into, it used to be, I don't remember what exactly drove the expansion of borders. It was more this like slow accretion process where like your borders inched out from your claimed systems. Um. Now, and what that sort of encouraged was this really um, hell for leather, like, land grab at the start of the game where you're just looking for habitable planets and you're basically, like, creating these little, like, civilizational lily pads uh, to cover the pond of the galaxy. And then eventually you'd hope they'd start merging and you'd claim all the territory uh, in between. And so the border dynamics were a, a little bit weird and a little bit uh, passive. They made it much more straightforward. Uh, and a little more, uh, I guess, gated is is the way I'd put it. Uh, now, in order to claim a system, you have to go and build an outpost there. Uh, so construction ships now are always out there doing things. They're always out there building little outposts. And once you got your first outpost, then that system belongs to you, and uh, you can expand beyond it. Now, you can jump systems, uh, but if you are expanding to a place distant from your borders uh, with no connecting territory, the price of that outpost, uh, which you pay in influence points, uh, which you use to do like eat government edicts and, and a lot of other things in this game, uh, the price for that goes up considerably. So if you see something that's like really awesome you want to claim, but it's like, you know, on the other side of the galaxy from your empire, you can get it. It's just going to be like, a show-stopping, like, all-hands-on-deck effort for your entire civilization. Is it? Because I've never... That was the one thing I never felt like I had any, like, scarcity of, and that was influence. And, I mean, I was, like, being smart about how I constructed my empire, and I, but, it, you know, I never find myself in a situation where I would, you know, overextend or pick out a system that was quite far from the rest of my empire. Oh, be no, like, oh, I, I definitely found myself like now. in particular when I was trying to like race another empire to like a key choke point or just uh -huh. an awesome system that had right. like tons of uh, resources. Uh, I would definitely mm -hmm. like no more edicts, no more expanding, like stop doing everything until we have the influence to claim that system. And I guess it depends how you build your empire. Well, exactly. If you're, if you're you going know. to sort of ink blot out, uh, the cost is very manageable. If you get like very, um, I only want the choicest of fruits from the galactic tree, uh, it gets a little <laughs> pricey. Sometimes there's an incentive to do that. But uh, as your empire sort of changes shapes, um, 
you do have a chance of pirate bases, uh, like just just low level raiders uh, spawning somewhere along those borders. And I have noticed that yeah, like I can pretty much guarantee that if I surround a single system but do not claim it and just sort of envelop it in my territory, but it's still unclaimed. I can pretty much guarantee you that a pirate base will spawn there. That's kind of how this works is like the unclaimed system Mm -hmm. with lots of access to your borders uh, will start to spawn pirates. And it's not a huge crisis, but like it's a nuisance. Yeah. Uh, And. Oh, wait, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I was getting, but they're like, they're barely even a nuisance. I thought you were talking about actually like they're going around like well, actually doing raids rather than, oh, it's just a random pirate base. Go blow it I, up. Well, no. I'm, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I agree they're they're kind of a nuisance. Like if you are prepared for them and, you know, you've, you've got a good balance of things, they're they're nothing, right? If, you, if you've if you got your, your fleet anywhere nearby, it's not even going to be an issue. But I in my last game, I had a situation where I was fighting a – I just started a war literally at the far end of my empire. And my entire fleet was, you know, kind of spread out and collecting that war. And one of those pirates fired on the other end of the galaxy um, where I'm I mean, because of the changes to traversal, that is 50 years away. You know, not really like it's like two years away now for me to even get back. And by the time I'd gotten back, they had just because, you know, they had a big enough fleet to kind of fly around. They had done some serious damage to my infrastructure. But they get more powerful the longer you leave them. Yeah. And they yeah, exactly. And and I just left myself exposed because I was so focused on the war. And so, I mean, I think that's a cool thing. But it is it is very different than than the hordes that you're talking about. Those are the ones that you can actually communicate with, and they sort of start as these you know mercenary bands. But you can get an event that fires that gives them a great horde, uh, like a great leader or whatever the great. Con. Yeah, I never got that and massive that, event at all, which is disappointing. It, it changes their like they become a lot more serious at that point, and they will send out like I was getting like 12k raiding parties at the same time where that was my entire fleet you know kind of combined um and you know that it, it, it actually was a really interesting period where i was trying to figure out how i was going to kind of secure my borders because they were right on my border and like my enemies kept hiring i'm like go get them and as you know that became you know 20 years of game time just figuring out how to kind of combat them and push them back but eventually the leader died and it became nothing yeah and that's one thing i haven't really messed around with yet is the fact that you can you can like pay them to attack your mm-hmm. enemies or like hire an admiral from them or something like that which it, it seems like it could be interesting like we were talking about if you create a problem on the opposite end of someone's empire they have to devote a lot of time to solving that even if they have the fleet to do it because i think it's it's like the second biggest change in this patch other than you know the ftl rework and star bases and stuff is just the fact that you do have to fly across every system at sublight to get to the next hyperlane and it has made yep. the galaxy seem just massively massively bigger uh i there are some things that are a little bit annoying about it but overall i actually really like it like planning yeah i, I agree sorry go ahead no, I was going to say it, it, it took a while to get used to. So I really feel like that is also connected to this idea that they want 
that, that there seemed to really being pushing this idea of don't just build one sort of death fleet Super Bowl and make that your only like that. That's just you go into a in, into a system and you just blow everything up and you just bounce them around. Like there's so much of that traversal change when you're fighting a war. If you do that. Uh, because you can kind of you'll go into a system and you'll blow up. You don't actually blow up the starbase or outpost or whatever. You just kind of convert it to yours. And if you just move your your death fleet around, they'll come right behind you and just you know kind of dodge your fleet but reclaim all their territory. And you're making no progress unless you kind of treat it a little bit honestly like EU four, where it's not all one just death army right you you kind of have these multiple armies that are spreading out and so you have to really think about how you're going to position them to um you know make your territory progress while also kind of reinforcing to ensure this army you know fleet doesn't swing around behind and you're kind of having to balance out you know what's the power going to be and how many admirals do you have and so yeah ultimately it it took me 10 hours to get used to the change and not just be like oh i want to do my thing um, but once I kind of cross that barrier, like I get it and it makes more sense. And I, I like you nailed it. I love how much bigger the galaxy feels because of it. Yeah. One of the, um, I, I thought you'd be, I thought you'd enjoy the changes to fleet command because it, it seems very reminiscent of combat with, yeah, uh, totally. from, from EU, uh, where, yeah, it used to be that in Stellaris, basically you just kept building, one fleet as big as you possibly could. Uh, and then whatever other fleets were just to like police, uh, you know, in that, in that main fleet's absence. Um, but it never really felt like you needed anything like, you know, fighting on multiple fronts or like having battle groups operate. It just didn't, it never felt that way. It was, it was all death balls all the time. Uh, now, in addition to your overall naval capacity, uh, which sort of limits the number of ships you can get, across your whole empire now they've introduced uh command limits i want to say uh where it's the maximum number of ships that a that an admiral uh can have under their command uh so you really can't do the you know single death ball thing uh anymore i don't know maybe in the late game you, you basically effectively can uh because you've leveled up the command limit enough that um you can you can build those types of fleets, but like it would be really difficult though because the AI is very keen on building loads and loads of fleets now. Mm -hmm. So if yes. you just have your big death, like death fleet of like your stack of doom, and you rush in there, yeah, you're going to win some battles. But before you know it, your empire has already been lost because they've got like twenty. Um, so like I think that's one of the things that the actual limit. It teaches you is like even if you don't clock immediately that yes you need quite a lot more fleets than you used to you have to because at, until you've researched far enough through the tech tree then you're going to be pretty restricted. I also feel like it makes star the changes to starbase is interesting because I really am finding myself building staging areas in advance uh -huh. mm -hmm. of wars. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and and like I love that I'm adding that thought process in there and really like they're, they're not. You know, they're not just, oh, I guess I'll throw one over here and put a bunch of these things on it just so I have an additional place to build ships from. It really is, oh, I'm going to lock down this choke point with a really powerful uh, thing so I can kind of manage my fleets out of that position. And that's where you build your citadels with all yeah. the guns, just right, bristling right. with guns. <laughs> and I, totally. I usually have, I'll have a really fortified citadel system right on the border that is just like all defenses and then one system behind that is where I'll have 
like my all shipyards station that's like built to mm-hmm. replenish the fleet as needed uh and also to serve as a fallback point if you know the citadel should go down for whatever reason everything related to star bases is just great honest i think it's actually i i really like the the whole ftl changes because i do think it makes it more uh strategic but i think that the starbase is the one which just feels almost like flawless to me it it like it tickles my brain in a way that i appreciate <laughs> um and it's the modular design these stations can be whatever you want them to be uh and they it just it's like it's what streamlining uh should be where basically they've taken all of these different systems, combined them together, and it still feels expansive. It still feels like you can do a lot with your star bases. Uh, I have a question for folks, because like, it feels to me like the, the combat in general has become a lot more EU-like in that um, I remember when I first started playing Stellaris, like, after every combat, it was like, well, time to go rebuild a bunch of ships because like, a bunch of stuff died. Um, now, like, there's, there's two changes. One is that they made it a lot easier to sort of um, keep your fleet design in effect, uh-huh. basically, no matter what the losses are, like, via the, uh, was the fleet manager, uh, where you mm. can basically open up this little tool and it shows, like, basically, you've built the template for your fleet. And so there's its paper strength. Uh, so let's say it's like, you know, six corvettes and three destroyers but if it's fallen below that paper strength and ships have been destroyed you can with a click of a button uh just say like reinforce it and bring it up to that previous level uh you don't have to go back to the shipyard and remember like okay so that fleet's down a corvette and a destroyer you don't have to do that anymore it just happens automatically but it also just seems like fleet combat attrition a lot of it seems to happen not necessarily destroying the ships themselves. Yeah. Like, I've been surprised how much combat value yep. I've lost, but at the end of the battle, like the vast majority of my ships are still there. Um, they weren't destroyed. It's just over the course of battle, I'm not sure what's, what's happening there, but over the course of battle, either because components are being knocked out or ships are just like rotating out of the line, combat value is being lost. Well, there's an evacuation mechanic. So they actually, like, there's there's a... And I think you can upgrade it, you know, with various technologies or or different sort of. I don't know if it's in the Unity system, but your your fleet will actually, as a ship is getting near destruction, there is a chance that instead of being destroyed, it will sort of emergency warp out of. Oh, the thank God. And it will automatically return after the battle is over, assuming you win. But, a lot, I mean, there is that sort of reduction in, I mean, a steady sort of reduction in fleet strength. But when your ships warp out, like, they're just out of the battle. You don't have that at your disposal anymore. And so even though you're not technically losing the ship in terms of you're, it's not, it, it'll come back if you win after it's all over, it'll come back after the battle's over, for that battle at that moment, all of a sudden, that the powers, the guns, everything is just not in that battle anymore which i think is a it's a cool change i i I, it takes me a little it makes it a little frustrating on the other side of it where it's like i just can i just get rid of your guys (laughs) it's like you again right we're like god damn we gotta chase that fucking army down again it's not as pronounced right exactly like i don't feel like i'm having to properly chase units all across a map right well, and there's, there's also uh, admiral abilities that affect that, too. Like, if you have an admiral who's unyielding yeah. 
he will fight to the death and you will lose your whole fleet if you don't click that emergency FTL button. Um, and then like there's another one that's like evasive that I think it, it either increases the chance or it decreases the damage threshold for your ships to jump out. So if you want to have kind of like a KG fleet that that, you know, just kind of goes around and does hit and run, but doesn't take too much damage in the process, you can actually, you know, pick an admiral who's good at that. Can we talk about the fleet manager for a second? Because am I the only one who's finding it really non-intuitive and yeah, hard to use? Yeah, like it's, it, it really is kind of, you have to learn how its internal logic works, especially if you have a situation where like a tech upgrade becomes available while you're reinforcing ships yep. and then you click, you click reinforce before you click upgrade and then you wind up, wind up with a bunch of duplicates of stuff because it doesn't register that the newer upgraded ships are the same as the older ships that you just told it to build or something like that. Or or if you split your fleet and you go in and you're like, oh, I should see if I need to reinforce for some reason. Like it just, you split your fleet, it do, it, it'll break out this new, new fleet where it's like, okay, this is the shape of that fleet. But if you look back at your old fleet, it's like, I guess you need like 19 yeah. ships. There's their, it's like, no, I split like, Come on. But the biggest, and I think they're fixing this in 2.02 because um, I haven't done it since. Like I was I was doing a, a, a video and afterwards, like my the fleet manager, just my fleet felt all wrong. I wanted to kind of start over and, you know, reshape what my fleet looked like. So it, I just got rid of the template. Uh, if you delete template, it kills all your ships. Don't do that. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a hard lesson to learn. Like I deleted template is like you don't have a, a template fleet anymore. Isn't a thing. <laughs> A template. That, that sounds like a bug. <laughs> that definitely needs yeah. to be fixed. I, I think it is I think it's not well, no, because I think the fix is they're giving a warning now to say if you delete template, Just it don't will say delete template. Like right. <laughs> use the right word. <laughs> that was a that was a real moment. Delete fleet. <laughs> yeah, I like the fleet manager early on when I'm building my first fleets and it's like, okay, I need to keep this thing up to the strength, blah, blah, blah. It does sort of seem like, um, I don't know. It's, it, it seems like the more things you're trying to ask it to do, uh, the more it's limitations, mm -hmm. uh, as a, you know, as, as a system, as, as a UI, uh, begin to move to the, move to the fore. Um, cause it, it definitely like the fact that you'll have, um, like I'm, I'm adjusting the template for one fleet, and there in the middle of the pane, it's also like got buttons for my other fleets in it, and it's like really easy to click over, and suddenly you're designing a different fleet, and it's not entirely clear that you did. Like, it's it's handy, it's nifty, it it needs some uh, improvements, I would say. Speaking of improvements, that mid game though, better. I mean, still like, like, definitely better, but not unique. I think that's. Is it fun to govern in this game? Well, that's part of the problem. But I, again, it kind of depends on the shape. Like, I, I've I've just gotten to the point where I just don't want, um, uh, you know, empires that are heavily diplomacy focused because I just I it might just be me. I just don't find that necessarily fun. I think there is now a lot 
I think there's a decent amount of things to do in the mid game. And you, where that problem where, you know, you went through the early game, you had tons of stuff to do, and then you hit the mid game and you're just like, I guess I'll put it on fast forward and wait till, you know, I, I win or the ascendancies come get me. Um, there's a lot to do. I think my problem still is it just doesn't feel unique it doesn't feel like it just feels like it's it starts to some of it feels a little bit like busy work like hey we gave you this button to press why don't you stand there and press that button for a while it's like well that's not the same feeling i'm looking for um yeah yeah so better but not like it's just not as fun as i want it to be yet and i don't i mean i don't have an easy answer for it I I kind of feel like at this point the the problem might be that mid game in Stellaris is kind of like if there was an an EU four setup where like everybody was roughly the size and strength of maybe Bohemia like it's <laughs> it's like a box of a bunch of same sized rocks when it's like no I want some pebbles in there and I want some sand in there and you know. A couple boulders they've kind of done that with you know you can turn on advanced ai starts you have the fallen empires and they're adding more of this kind of like asymmetrical types of civilizations you could run into the the marauders or another one and i i would love for them to keep doing that but it never seems like you have a situation where you end up with you know a couple big powerful empires surrounded by like some you know three or four minor powers that can influence the conflict between them by changing sides and then maybe like the space balkans off to the side where it's these like five or six smaller empires that kind of stand together so they can't all be conquered unless you mm -hmm. want to take all of them on like i don't i don't find that that granularity is something that happens uh, just due to the nature of it's it's got this 4x style symmetrical start logic base kind of baked into it. Um, and I, I do I do like that, you know, there's more decision making going on now in terms of, you know, which systems I want to colonize and, you know, building them up and, and things like that. But I, 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 I feel like I want a galaxy that has more granularity or more more different sizes of of brains <laughs> i mm -hmm. don't know i feel i got a bunch of that in my uh game as the um happy-go-lucky uh service industry robots that i played as <laughs> <laughs> um and I, when I, I got a Federation invite, and I'm like, yeah, I just want to be everyone's friend. I'll definitely accept that. And then I look at the Federation, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm in the loser Federation. It's <laughs> <laughs> like all of these other little empires. Like, who are my new friends? And it's like, oh, this guy with, like, two systems. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this guy, he's just lost a massive war. Um, and it was... Not this But again. it was great, because we were, like, the underdogs. We, like, banded together. And luckily, um, one of the, uh, the big events really fucked up our enemies. So we were like, yeah, who's the underdog now? They, they still they rose back up pretty quickly and smacked us around a bunch. It was not a successful game <laughs> for me. But there was that diversity. There were, like, big empires, and some of them were, like, joining together to create these huge evil factions. And then there was, like, the little guys, sometimes in federations, sometimes just going it alone. There was, like, a lot of life in that galaxy. Sometimes it is just almost everyone's the same. Uh, and I think that is one of 
that's one of the strengths of the game and one of its biggest problems is that you can get really shit boring games but then you can get these really surprising ones as well yeah i think um i at this point don't like joining federations because it feels like once i join a federation the odds of me having a boring game seem to go through the roof mm-hmm. <laughs> um like and that's what the game is making me more of a rampant militarist because then at least I will have something to do, right? Like I sort of get out of the early game and I'm like, well, we've all had a lot of fun here uh, <laughs> and we had a great relationship for a while and we really handled our border issues responsibly and peacefully. Uh, but now for no good reason, I am going to start talking shit to you relentlessly <laughs> until we mm-hmm. go to war. And then I'm going to put this fleet to use and have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and I'm going to try to find who my next target is because otherwise there's simply not enough to do. And federations, I think are a big part of this is that like, as federations sort of accrete more members, um, I feel like it is taking diplomatic actors effectively off the board in some ways, or just not giving them enough to do, not like eliminating friction points. And, that goes double if I'm inside a federation because suddenly like there's a significant number of players in the game that are sort of kind of on the same side and there doesn't seem to be like much incentive for them to leave. Like it just, everyone just sort of hangs out in their federation and we're just sort of waiting around for an end game. Oh no, you can, you right. can make um, them leave by just plain refusing to get into a war. They keep sending that vote. You keep shooting it down. And eventually some of them will be like, we're going to make a new federation. That happens. And it's hilarious. So you've, you've managed to like get yourself excluded from your own federation. No, as in like everyone left. I wasn't, it wasn't my federation. I joined right, this but federation. Right, formed a new club where you yeah. can veto things? They kept sending me this <laughs> message being like, hey, we want to go to war with these assholes. And I'm like, I'm, I hate war. War sucks. So I'm like, nope. And they just, it's constant <laughs> over the period of like a year, just constantly just throwing these notifications at me. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And then one by one, they just started to leave. And then I look and I'm the last person in the federation. So I'm the... Like the, the main <laughs> federation guy, but also alone, and they've all banded together in a new federation. <laughs> what, what's hilarious is Rob just described his kind of horror story with federations, and you just described yourself as the guy who's making the <laughs> horror story for federations. Like, I get in there and I want to go to war, and then there's always some assholes. Like, no, we're not going to do it. And it's like, oh yeah, that's Fraser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, even though these that that was a really funny thing that happened, it was it was a Good anecdote, but generally federations do kind of suck. It's because there's yeah. nothing to do in them. It's so like, I need... want to feel like there's a purpose to a federation rather than now there are more of us so we won't die. That's <laughs> what this game needs, is it needs ways to organically generate ramshackle dog shit coalitions <laughs> like EU4 starts with. Like, yeah. I want like people to stumble like stumble blindly into creating the space Holy Roman Empire. But that's not, what... like during the rad era. Like during the point where like it, like half the states were at war with each other half the time. There's like four different conflicts going on and like the central power is just like kind of like I don't know what you guys want me to do. Like we're all friends. I don't know. I can't choose. You can't. That's what this game needs. But like Federations, I think, are too. Um, uh, what's the way to put? It? They're, they're they're too monolithic. There's not enough like articulation points inside them to to make them do interesting things. 
Well, and that's the the dev diary that came out today. That's actually one of the priorities they listed is they want to make federations more interesting and even turn them into something where they can start as loose coalitions and then you can eventually basically do what you can do with the HRE and EU4 where you diplomatically wrangle it into a single state that will at, at some point come under your control. So it sounds like there's an intrigue they're, yeah. or something would be nice. Or if you're playing like a proper like asshole empire and you join a federation it should feel different if you're in a federation of assholes but it really doesn't it's a great novel <laughs> <It's>, it, <laughs> the federation <laughs> of assholes <laughs> but yeah there's you can't tell the difference between like a federation filled with like a bunch of nice hippy dippy happy go lucky empires and like just the most monstrous barbaric empires that the federations are all going to be the same. So I, I, I have to ask, has anybody blown up a planet yet? Because I actually, like, that's the whole point. I actually haven't done no. it yet. I've not blown it up, but I've, like, I've done the other, like, because you can do more than just blow it up. Right, yes. Um, well, so what was your doomsday weapon? Or I guess um, life day in the your one, case, maybe. Because I had died through <laughs> multiple ones, but like I quite like the uh, the assimilation thing because it kind of fits in with the whole. Because uh, there's an actual assimilation cyborg uh, traits that you can get, um, so I got to make the Borg, or as I called them, the Schmorg, uh, <laughs> and it's quite satisfying. But I fe I feel about all of those apocalyptic vessels um, and the Titans as well. Like I'm not buy an expansion for them. Like, they're really fun. But I, I played with them, and now I'm like, they, they come so late, too. Right. The actual That's time you have to invest in the game to get to them. And it's both both the Titans and the... Uh, they're called Colossi, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I think so, um, yeah. They take just so much effort. And they are badass. Like, they are powerful ships. They, they, it feels like... Um, I don't, yeah, it doesn't feel like the effort's worth it, but it does feel like you're getting something for pouring all of these hours into their development. And you do feel like a giant space badass. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, leaving it that far in just seems, eh. And it's, you know, you, it's not like an incredibly expensive expansion, but it's like, what, 15 quid or something for, for some ships? Because that's really the, the highlight of the expansion. Uh, whereas 2.0 is just a bounty of free and wonderful tweaks and improvements and new additions. I think that's one of the problems that Paradox has with their business model is that actually they're offering like really good value for these updates and it makes the expansions look a bit well, shit, I, even when they're fun. I, I do think like 2.0, having like played around with it, it's like it feels like those changes were necessary to make people stay invested in Stellar. Like, I, I think that's that's the value is like they've made it a more interesting game overall, but I do kind of agree. Like when I think about the the stuff that I'm actually like, boy, that feels like a nice upgrade. This is cooler than the last time I played the game. Mm, it's 2.0 stuff. It's not necessarily apocalypse stuff. I like, I get it. Because, I mean, the, the whole point of this model is that they they're not going to put something that they will need to tweak and upgrade and build on in a paid expansion because then they'd have to maintain different versions of the game. A version of the game, for instance, where they have all of the FTL stuff that Vanilla Stellaris had, and then a version of the game 
where it's got all the, the, the new FTL structure and keep updating oh, both. It just doesn't make sense. It, they, it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, they just can't do that. So I kind of, I, I don't have a solution. Maybe you have a solution for this. I have something I hate. I think one big problem with this game is I don't like planets. I don't like governing them. I don't like dealing with them. <laughs> I think there's something kind of messed up that I am more excited when I find a completely barren star system with tons of like <laughs> mineral rich asteroids and like research rich <laughs> moons and gas giants and like holy shit what is that weird astrono astronomical body in there i don't know it's worth like five engineering points i'm going to go look at it it's great that's what i want i'm like hell yeah a system that produces resources with none of the bullshit of governing people and like an empire <laughs> but every time like i colonize a planet it's just this never-ending list of like tiny, meaningless little chore. Like, like nothing gets me that excited. I don't feel like I'm building toward anything really cool or special in any of my on any of my planets. Really, like it's okay. Well, I guess uh, we're a little we're running a bit of a food deficit lately. I guess I better build hydroponic farm three. Uh, ooh, this. But are you not doing things like? Managing, like, kind of tweaking your pops, delving into a bit of eugenics, uh, things like yeah. that. Because that, that's what is... Downshot. Like, the actual... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> because the, the actual, like, just managing a planet is... Yeah, that, that's just admin, isn't it? But the actual, like, delving into your pops and customizing them and growing them and moving them that around. That feels like a bad HR game. Managing now. their migration. I oh, love that, that feels stuff. Like, That's like mm, really oh, fun. That feels too. like your catastrophe HR manager and you got problem employees <laughs> but you can't really get rid of them so it's like well I guess we'll just put them on this patch of turf and like... Yeah, no, it's because I'm trying to create my like wonderful pure cyborg empire. <laughs> like I get, again it is just like there are going to be some types of vampires that you play where the management you're just going to have like bog standard races uh, and managing them is going to be quite easy uh, but then there are ones which actually need you to be quite hands-on and control migration all that sort of stuff and I actually think that's quite a lot of fun maybe I just want to be like an intergalactic administrator <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> no I, I think I'm with Rob on this one like people when I, when I was doing a Stellaris playthrough on YouTube as robots people are like why don't you make uh, different robot models for mining and energy and science? And I'm like, because I just don't want to deal with it, man. Like, I don't want to make sure that the science bots are all on the science tiles and the mining bots are all on the mining tiles and the energy bot. Like, they should be able to figure that out or, or you know. Yeah, that's really interesting, assigned. right? It's like, yeah. oh, you, here's something to manage. You put the science <laughs> thing with the science thing. You put the, <laughs> that's, not, that's not great. I know what's needed. We need a sort of distant world style automation system. So the stuff I like, I can still keep mucking around with. And you can just set it to be completely automated. Here's the other thing I don't get. Is why do I hate dealing with planets in uh, Stellaris? 
But if you need me to stay ahead of the rise in low country and Dutch nationalism in like mid 1600s <laughs> Europe in EU, I'm like, hell yeah, give me those dialogue boxes. Let me just get in there. I'm going to start. Yeah. Let me really like sink my teeth into this problem. And I'm like, just, just happily clicking these boxes. And I'm like, this is strategy gaming, y'all. And like in Stellaris, meanwhile, I'm like, oh, I have to click and drag this pop to the other tile. Yeah. This is well, the worst. Because here's the thing. You've read about the the historical realities surrounding, you know, the rise of, of nationalism in the 16th mm-hmm. century low countries. Yeah. It, like, EU4 right now is a much better story generator in that regard. And I think that that's what planets should be in a space strategy game more than anything else. They should be story generators. You know, it's not it's not really a, an interesting story that's like, oh, yeah, the story of the time that I relocated all of the giant strong turtle people to the mines and <laughs> sent uh, sent the humans off to do more science. That's a great story. All right. Yeah, I can just picture that in my head. That's 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 so immersive. Um, I think that's a bit disingenuous, though, because like you've picked the most boring possible story. Well, you're that's all it picking. is. You're, cherry, you're just cherry-picking anecdotes, well, that's all, what, which is like the lamest thing. That's all that goes on on planets in Stellaris, except for like, the same rotation of like 20 events. Yeah. Because a lot of it is flavor, which is exactly what you were talking about with why you actually care about the history stuff, because ultimately it's because you're really a giant history nerd. Um, so like it's 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 having that sort of attachment to what's going on. Uh, so uh, like when I'm creating my little perfect cyborg people and infecting other planets and things like that, there's a narrative going on behind it that keeps me interested, even if what I'm ultimately doing is just clicking on a bunch of little text pop-ups and moving like one cyborg from that planet to this other planet. Like there's a lot of the flavor behind it elevates it. I also feel like you can kind of ignore it if you're just I'm not not totally ignore it, but it's it's not something that is demanding your attention constantly. Like there can be I I, I get it because you kind of get in that mode where you feel like you need to be managing your your system because you haven't gone and checked on them in a while. And now you're floating a bunch of minerals and, you know, you need to upgrade. But honestly, like if you go in and kind of you know, have have the money and you build a bunch of buildings and say, there, you've got five buildings waiting for you. You go you go breed. I'll check back with you in, let's call it 35 years, and then I'll do some upgrades, but I want to go fight a war. Like, I don't find that the game punishes you. Like, I, I admit it's not totally optimal, but I don't... It's not a game that is insisting you be optimal to be able to kind of accomplish your goals a lot of the time. So I, I find I just kind of, when I when I feel like it, like, oh, I've got a downtime of five years between wars. I should go check and see if my planets are doing. They're like, we're not doing anything. Could we have some buildings? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, definitely. Let's do that for, you know, 10 minutes. And then I'll go beat somebody else up again. I do like beating people up, I think. I think that's my main problem. Uh, <laughs> some more planetary events would uh yeah. would be good that's that's definitely true like just like actual reasons to go to your planet that isn't just well what? like when i had a planet turn <laughs> out that there was like an entire subterranean civilization that like yeah oh, okay well what are we gonna do about this and that was kind of a cool little like okay suddenly my uh, empire has these um mole people in it uh welcome i guess uh that, that was kind of a cool little like <laughs> thread but there's not there's not 
much of that. There's there's not enough of it. Yeah, there's a few. It's cool but it's until like until you've seen the same ones like eleven out. times. Yeah, that's the thing. You're gonna start seeing oh, like forty of your planets with these like underground like mole people. <laughs> Maybe they're the dominant species of the galaxy. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think. Um, <laughs> have you considered the one planet strategy because a bunch of people are doing that now and i know yeah, that yeah. like one of the things that martin said he wanted to do was make it so that these weird strategies are perfectly viable i i gave um, it a shot actually uh with uh the, the there's that civic where your your home world starts out as a max size gaia world yeah 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 um, and you could only yep. like go to other Gaia. yeah worlds. it wasn't i mean it wasn't one planet strategy in the long run because what I ended up doing was just building robots and then colonizing other planets with the <laughs> yes. robots. That's awesome, Which was, though. Shit. It was, it was so cool good. because when I did have the inevitable robot uprising fire, it was like one planet of, you know, meat bags versus the entire rest of my expanded <laughs> empire that was just droids, and? basically. I, I managed to win. Like, it was actually one of my... One of the most fun wars I've ever fought in Stellaris. Did anyone really was, win that war, TJ? Uh, I, <laughs> we dismantled all the toasters, so I'd say we did. <laughs> uh, See, anything involving robots and stars, I feel, is uh, just the it's the best part. The robots yeah. are really fun. Like they're they're, they're so good. Yeah, I, I love playing a, a, a machine empire. Like oh, there's yeah. just something thematically very fun about it. And then and then I can be callous and I don't feel as bad. Like I'm a robot. I don't have feelings. It's fun. Yeah. We're gonna with do my this. with my good guys sort of service industry robots obviously we were we kind of fell foul of a lot of angrier uh, more militant empires and I, and I lost a fair chunk of um quite a few systems and population with it um and years and years and years later i've completely forgotten about them because i'm like i'm never going to get them back these guys are way too big and tough um so <laughs> eventually i look over and i'm like wait hang on a second What's going on in that little corner of space? They declared independence. There was a little civil war, and I click on them, and it's all robots. This little robotic faction <laughs> had been born within my enemy, and like they it just all kicked off, and now they were independent. I teamed up with them, and we actually went to war, and we actually had some successful battles, which was nice for once. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was quite. It was a weird little novelty, and I'd completely forgotten about them. But for years, they'd been staying there. Just waiting for their chance to rise up and kill all their flashy overlords. See, this is the thing. I think this is one of the core issues, features, uh, you know, things about Stellaris that makes it what it is. And this is where we sort of, I think, arrived at with our first show on it, which is like this is a game that depends so much on the degree to which you buy into what it's doing. Like, it is like. It is more like a tabletop RPG than a typical strategy game. Like, if you are somebody who sits down to a game of D&D and is just a negative asshole about the entire experience, like, oh, this doesn't make sense, <laughs> this isn't real, like, then obviously <laughs> D&D is going to be a bad game to you. Uh, this is why I'll never play D&D with Rowan. <laughs> Look, I wasn't going to say it, man. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> Fraser's like, what if we just made the subtext text? Uh, <laughs> Look, we don't do subtlety in Scotland, all right? But, but, like, I actually, I think, do come down more on the Rowan side, which is, like, I tend to prefer games like this, like, 
why aren't you more like Alpha Centauri? Like, why aren't you giving me more of that, like, fiction, that flavor, like, informing everything in the game and, like, wrapping that, like, like, wrapping that identity, that narrative throughout the game? Even if it's the same thing over and over again, it's at least an identity that I can sort of buy into very easily again and again. But playing it with, um, with, like, Austin, uh, we've been doing a series of streams on it over at Waypoint, has been really eye-opening because... Austin approaches the stuff like a game master uh, or, or like an RPG player. And he tries to invest everything into this game with some kind of narrative reason for why it's happening. Right. So like, to me, I look at a lot of these systems and I'm like, there's not a whole lot there. Like I don't like the, the stuff about moving the pops around on the planets, right? Like, or, or, putting the right faction people on different spaces or shipping them off to the far reaches of the galaxy. All that stuff to me feels like kind of boring business, busy work. But if you're taking like the approach Austin seems to be taking with it, or uh, sort of what, what you're describing with your approach Fraser is you make that stuff like a paragraph in your ongoing story. And it means something to mm-hmm. you, even if that meaning wasn't inherent to the game. And there's times I can do that. Like, I do tend to get very into um, my faction creator. And once I've created a faction and a backstory and an identity for these people, once they take to the stars, I find I am role-playing my Civ a lot more than I'm playing optimally, right? Like, well, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. my raccoon people, uh, they know <laughs> the cost of nuclear, de- nuclear destruction. Uh, <laughs> and so they, they would probably not uh, go this route. And that does imbue the game with sort of a cool um, narrative feel. But I wish it gave me a little more to hold on to, right? There there are a few more handholds in building that narrative. And I just never quite feel like there are, particularly in the mid-game. I think the issue is that, so you mentioned Alpha Centauri before, and there was this fiction there. There was this, like, identity there that I think... Stellaris, because of its very broad approach, uh, like it's it's a love letter to sci-fi. All it's the sci-fi drawing from all the exactly all of it, and it, and the thing is, they they know who they're like they're catering to a specific group of people who want that. When someone's like, "Why can't I play the Borg?" Now you can play the Borg. You've got and with the modding, it just it gets goes even further. You've got like my one of my favorite mods, which is the Star Trek Horizons one. Is it's like the best Star Trek game I've ever played, um, and it's it actually does have because it has an identity that Stellaris doesn't normally have. It it's actually maybe it's better than Stellaris, really, um, and I, I think that maybe like I feel like some of the scaling back that's needed is already being done. Like instead of being like you can have all the FTL methods that you want, they're like okay. Hyperlane's are our primary FTL method. I don't care if you like wormholes, <laughs> you've got Hyperlane's. Um, and yeah, there are like big static wormholes and you can find ancient gates and things like that. So you're, you're not getting them taken away, but they're not the primary method. So I think making those sorts of calls and, and being like, okay, sometimes the mechanics have to override our love of sci-fi. I think it needs to be done more frequently. 
Yeah, and I I find I do that with with Crus like games like Crusader Kings, but for some reason Stellaris, I, I don't know if it just doesn't have enough for me to hold on to in that regard. Like sometimes I'll I'll catch myself doing it, but I don't I don't know that it it draws me in as thoroughly as as certain other games do. I'm not sure why that is. Well, CK2 is one writing prompt after another, right? Like it is right. a game yeah. of right. like medieval yeah. creative writing prompts. It's like, yeah. you know, he's a he's a hunchbacked eunuch, but he's in love <laughs> with his brother's wife and he covets the duke's throne. What's going to happen next? Like <laughs> and it's, you know, you're like, "Okay, cool. What a fascinating weird story this is going to be." And it's made of stuff like that. Stellaris uh because it's got that sort of zoomed out focus is much more like okay so the one admiral who exists in your empire uh is the head of a faction of militarists uh because there's only one militarist named character whatever look here's the faction here's what they want go deal with it um but if you're willing to buy into that and be like oh yes now i see like the the you know fleet development program of 2233 uh created a fascist backlash of and you know then you're off to the races but i have trouble staying in that mindset particularly when so much of the game is like well better just send more ships out to survey and move these pops around to the hydroponic farms i think alexis kennedy tried to do a bit of that uh with uh, the uh horizon signal thing um because you actually get characters like your scientists who are surveying stuff, they get affected by it. And it's like they have their own little narrative, their backgrounds of stories. There's like almost almost a sense of relationships there. Um, and they just feel that little bit more alive and less like just a random like avatar with a randomly generated name. Um, and I think a few more storylines like that that actually bring out these characters and make them feel like they've got history and personality would be fantastic. And I think you hit on a really interesting point, which is this idea that by sort of narrowing decisions and kind of, and, and, and shuffling you down a particular path that may not be what you would have chosen on your own actually unlocks that potential to, to kind of identify in a different way. Like inevitably what happens when I play this game, and I think the problem with coming particularly out of the middle game and into the end game is invariably regardless of what civilization I built or, you know, how I started or what my civilization story is, I sort of narrow down to sort of one inevitable path, which is just my play style trademark right like I'm, I'm always going to kind of trend back to this middle line and so having things that kind of i mean i think that's one of the things i love about eu for is that it 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 kind of inevitably still forces me out of that because just it organizes situations and it you know there's there's this kind of rich history that it's you know trying to kind of synthesize into the way you want to play the game and i like that bit of the conflict between between what I am sort of, you know, my standard line is versus the game kind of trying to pull me up or pull me down into into a, you know, a nearby but a slightly different play style. And that just inevitably reengages me. And I think like the Horizon Signal thing is a great example of that. I do wish there was there was more of that that. Like, like I, I, I need to be led, like to some degree. I need to be coached. Like, come on, st- step in and step in and work with me here, Stellaris, Stellaris. Because, because when it is, we love all of sci-fi. You can be whatever you want, and it's you know you can be you you pick. Then all my games end up me being the thing that I inevitably always pick, and I would love 
like I, I can't do it myself. Like I have no willpower. I play two thousand hours of EU four. Somebody's <laughs> gonna have to come in and make me do something, and I will be grateful when they do. <laughs> the thing is, it's easier with a game like Alpha Centauri where they have these fixed factions. I'm sure yeah. you can customize them, but there are these scripted canon factions with their own storylines and characters. Um, and I, I, you can't really do that in a game like Stellaris. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that can be done to, to draw attention to characters and admirals and fleets and whatever. Real quick, uh, before I wrap this up, how do you guys like the new Cassus Belt? Well, the new. How do you how do you guys like uh, a Cassus Belly system in uh, in Stellaris? Yeah, I I love it. Yeah, yeah, I like it, it allows me to prepare, which is nice. As well, could you see? Oh, this guy is clearly preparing for war, so I'm going to start <laughs> doing the same because this is getting scary now. <laughs> so yeah, half of your empire has been claimed. It's like. Well, it also kind of forces you to make a decision between, you know, expanding into empty systems versus spending your influence to claim systems, which sort of creates this, um, I want to, I want to say they were originally called the hive mind personality type in like in early, early Stellaris where they would be peaceful with everyone until they didn't have any more empty systems to expand to. And then they would turn warlike. And now everyone kind of does that because, you know, why would you spend influence and risk losing ships, you know, to when you could just spend influence and get a bunch of free systems. So the galaxy kind of fills in and then people start going to war, which sort of makes sense in a, you know, resource resource acquisition, you know, thought process. I, I like that it adds a predictability to war, too, and sort of the outcome of it. I can't tell you how many times in the previous game I would play and have some sort of war and think, okay, I'm going to have these borders. And then the game would be like, no, these borders instead. And <laughs> you can't get over to this system, by the way, because the borders didn't connect. I'm like, they should have, you should have connected those. How could you not do that? Like the, now I can be really thoughtful about, and I think I mentioned this right at the start, really thoughtful about the shape of my empire and kind of how, how I want to organize it and prioritize. And it's not like, I hope, I hope the border system doesn't screw me over when I hit peace. And yeah, inevitably it does. Um, so I like that predictability. It's so hard to parse like uh, oh, anything so on difficult. that because you're like, well, what does size even mean at this point? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but now it's all just it's just sectors. It makes complete sense. It's like looking at a board game. Like I, I understand yeah. it immediately, um, and I really appreciate that. I think um, for people like just coming into Stellaris now it's going to be so much easier to get your first empire up and running because like there it's you can just look at the map and understand exactly where you can expand to and how big your empire is going to be and yeah it's great and it it's also kind of a uh, a buff to you know, like the the exterminator robots and like the devouring swarms and stuff too yeah because is. now that like one of their special things is just we can go to war with you whenever and take whatever we want, which is pretty powerful. And it's just like people grabbing systems rather than just expanding randomly. Like the amount of times you would like see something you wanted within someone else's empire that they didn't even want, but they're still not going to give you it. <laughs> it's like you're still going to have to go to war and it's just a completely pointless war. because They didn't even want that system. I will say one of the things that I struggled with early on, and I think is a sign of 
actually a positive the, the positive of the 2.0 change is if you have played stellaris before and you played you know a reasonable amount of it there's an institutional knowledge you take into your first game of 2.0 or apocalypse that you're like wait how what what am i doing how do i do <laughs> like I, I there were hours where i was like Oh, I said, like, I, I looked at that status quo button for so long. Like, if I press this, does it just mean I get nothing or do I get like, I don't. How does how does war work, you guys? <laughs> so. Um, so, I mean, I think I think be prepared for that. But that was I, I, I actually really liked that that happened. It made me sort of rediscover the game. And, you know, that that's to me a good sign of of an expansion and an update that really added something meaningful. Um. I like ideological warfare. I love being I love being called to spread my ideals through the galaxy uh, at the at the point of a bayonet. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> that's, that's shocking. Incredible confession from Rob Zach. <laughs> the video game industry won't just shatter. Right. Fine, I think that will do it for this week. Uh, but no, uh, one last thing. Um, so I am curious. It seems like we're all enjoying Stellaris, uh, revisiting it. Do you think this, any of this is going to change anyone's mind about Stellaris? Like, is anyone like, has your, do you has mean your, Rowan? no, but I, like, well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Fraser. Once again, uh, but no, I think more to the point is like, has this significantly moved the needle for us? Or is this basically caused us to revisit a game and feel the same way about it as before? I, I think if you got out of the beginning, and your thought process was, ooh, this is a good game. I can't wait till they keep adding the stuff that's going to flesh it out. Then you are in the right mindset, too. I mean, I, we kind of touched on this. Like, you don't even really have to get Apocalypse yet. Like, you can just do 2.0 and get so yeah, much of a flavor of the direction they're going. Like, if you're um, buying it new, don't get Apocalypse straight away. Like, wait and see if you really want these planet killers first. Because right. there's just so much cool stuff to get through first. Yeah, I mean, I've played I've played a crap load of 2.0. I think I've played a, close to a quarter of my total playtime in Stellaris just since I got the uh, the key for Apocalypse, which was not that long ago. It's like less than two weeks. So I've I've been enjoying it a lot. I don't know if I'm gonna burn out super hard, um, but I do think it is. They they've taken something that was already a focus, which is warfare, and they've made that a lot better. So if you were really into this like galactic warfare angle of Stellaris, that has gotten a lot better. Um, if you were hoping for maybe some more diplomacy mechanics before diving back in, then you're probably going to have to wait another expansion or two. Yeah, I think um, for me, I definitely feel like this is much better than it was but like i come back to the same reservations i had before but i guess i'm a little more able to work around them because like the the strengths have gotten stronger in in, in some ways um mm -hmm. the core weaknesses or the the things that feel like weaknesses to me at least um those do seem like you know that is stellaris you know it's i think this is never going to be a fundamentally different game uh than than it was um and if you're willing to accept it on those terms, uh, you'll probably enjoy what's there. Uh, but if, you know, it's never going to be the Alpha Centauri, you know, Deep Space 4X or the Alpha Centauri EU4 
uh, that, that I sometimes dreamed of. Uh, and part of growing up is accepting that, I guess. Or so I'm told. You've come a long way. <laughs> this episode sucks. Uh, that, that will do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be, back, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Fraser, for TJ, and for His Majesty the Game King, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>